Hi, you are listening to Encouraging Women for Christ, and I'm your host and Bible teacher, Courtney Silberman. Ladies, have you been looking for a simple, straightforward way to understand the book of Revelation? Well, join us today as we take this amazing book one verse at a time using easy-to-understand explanations and other verses in the Bible to go through this incredible book. I know you are going to leave each teaching blessed and refreshed in the Word of God and hopeful in what's to come as a follower of Jesus Christ. And hey, if you are just beginning your journey to understand what a relationship with Jesus is, please join us too. You will learn so much about Jesus' love for you and hear all about how you can enter into a personal relationship with God for yourself. Let's be excited together about the glorious future we have in Christ Jesus. And know we will be blessed, as Revelation 1-3 tells us, when we invest the time in learning the book of Revelation together. Hi, this is Courtney, and welcome to our study of Revelation. Today we're going to be in Revelation chapter 3. We're going to continue with our discussion with the seven churches of Revelation, and today we are going to discuss the last three churches found in Revelation chapter 3. So go ahead and get your Bibles out, get your pens, get your notebooks if you want to take notes, if you want to grab a cup of coffee, and we're going to have Bible study together today. So let's begin by opening our Bibles to Revelation chapter 3 in the New King James. And it says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard, hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I have come upon you. You have a few names even in Sardis who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Verse 7, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, He who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet, and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown." He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to the angel of the church in the 
of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, I have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eyesalve so that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you so much for Revelation chapter 3. We thank you so much that we get to read your word out loud. And we remember that there is a blessing found from Revelation chapter 1 verse 3 that those who read aloud the words of this prophecy are blessed. So we are so grateful we get to read it out loud and we get to study your word today. Help us to understand what you are speaking to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to begin with the church, the fifth church, and this is the church in Sardis. So it says, and to the angel of the church in Sardis write, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember when we are taking a look at these churches, Jesus first begins by showing us an attribute of himself. We talked about that in Revelation chapter 1 with the seven attributes of Jesus. Then he goes on to give a commendation, something that they're doing well to encourage them. Then he goes on to tell them a correction, something that they need to repent and do differently. So in this church in Sardis, he begins by saying that he has the spirit, seven spirits of God and the seven stars. This is his attribute. The seven spirits of God are the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit um, that came and dwelt upon Jesus when he was baptized in the Jordan with uh, John the Baptist. And we can go and take a look at that in Matthew. Let's turn back to Matthew um, chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 13 through 17. And this is right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. This is when the Holy Spirit came upon him, and he has the seven spirits. Remember, seven represents completion. So I'm in Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 13, and I'm going to read to verse 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you are coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it 
to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So when we are looking at Jesus as having the seven spirits of God, we are reminded that he is the Son of God, whom the Father is well pleased with. He has the Holy Spirit, and he is with the Father. So we recall the triune God in this description of the seven spirits of God. And then the seven stars, as we remember, those were the seven stars he held in his right hand. Those were the angels of the seven churches. So he says to them, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are about to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. This is actually an example of one of the churches that did not receive a commendation from Jesus, but went straight to a correction. Apparently, this church in Sardis uh, had a name and a reputation that seemed to indicate that they were doing well, that they were doing good works, that they were doing things for the kingdom of God that were merit, that were meritorious. But he is saying, you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. So it was the opposite of what they thought. They had a name, they had a reputation, but they were dead. And he said to them, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Now, we've talked about this. We talked about this in Revelation chapter 2 when we went through that video. Can good works save us? No, only Jesus' blood shed on the cross for us can save us from our sins. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about how their works would show their salvation. Good works indicate our salvation. They don't save us. They indicate the fruit of our salvation when we obey God and we follow him. So this church um, was ready to die. They they needed to be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die because he had not found their works perfect before God. And then he's saying to them, remember, therefore, how you have received and heard, hold fast and repent. So it's a call to come back that you're going the wrong direction. What you think about yourself is not the truth about what I am seeing, he is saying here. Because he sees the truth right into the hearts. They had a good name and a reputation, but the reality was they were dead. And so he's calling them to come back to himself. Come back. Here is how you come back. Um, remember the things, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I come upon you. Because they were dead, they had no spiritual understanding of what was going on around them. And that's not what Jesus wants for his children. We are children of the light, children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So if we uh, look at, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and this passage just talked about 
that the, he would come like a thief and you would not know what hour I will come upon you. That is not God's plans for his children. So let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and I'm going to start reading in verse 4 and I'm going to read down through verse 10. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 4 through 10. But you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. So according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and what Paul tells us, we are to understand the times. We are not to be in the dark. And this church was in the dark because they were a dead church. They didn't understand the times and that's why he said therefore if you will not watch I will come upon you as a thief and you will not know what hour I will come upon you so let's pick up in verse 4 and continue on you have a few names even in Sardis who have not defiled their garments and they shall walk with me in white for they are worthy and this is very much like what we looked at in the third in the church of Thyatira when we looked at the fourth church I love that he distinguishes those in the church who have certain attributes and certain corrections that are needed but he still has people within this church that have not defiled their garments and they will walk with him in white for they are worthy. So there were still those who were righteous that didn't depend on their good works to save them, which good works cannot save anybody, but instead they were clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and that is why they will walk with him in white because they were worthy, because they put their faith and trust in him for salvation. And then verse five, here is our um, here is our encouragement, our reward. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Verse 6, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So Jesus himself will confess our name before the Father in heaven. And that is the gift to the, those who overcome from the church of Sardis. Okay, so let's move on to the next church. Let's look at uh, verse 7 now, and we're going to look at the church of Philadelphia. So he says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. Here actually is the first time we have some attributes of Jesus that we did not see in those seven attributes. We see him saying he is holy, he is true, he has the key of David, he, what he opens no one shuts, 
and what he opens no one shuts and shuts and no one opens this signifies his complete and total authority as the king who is from the root of david the line of jesse he is the messiah from david ben david the Messiah Ben David in Hebrew, son of David, and he has the full authority. And we can trust that when he opens doors for us, no one can shut them. And when he shuts doors, no one can open them. I love the picture of his full authority over us as the church. It shows his protection and his grace and his all-knowing um, mind over what he is going to have his church accomplish on the earth. And so this church, he says to them, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it for you have a little strength, have kept my word and have not denied my name. And verse eight, I have to tell you is one of my absolute most favorite verses in the book of Revelation. I love what he says here, for you have a little strength, have kept my word and have not denied my name. So this church depended on his strength, not their own strength for him to carry them. They were humble and humility meant they acknowledged that they had no strength of themselves to do any of what God was calling them to do with open doors, but they depended on his strength and his power to open the doors in their lives that only he can open and trusted him to shut the doors in, the, in their lives that they should not go down and that he would protect them from. And so he says, you have kept my word and have not denied my name. So they not only kept the word of God as their only authority, they did not deny the name of Jesus in suffering. They knew he was the only one that could save them and the only one that could walk with them in the struggles that they were facing. And they did have struggles. In verse 9 it says, Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. They struggled with persecution from the Jews in this case um, who were hindering them from being able to do the things to proclaim the gospel, to go out and uh, tell people about Jesus. And they struggled with that. There, there was so much different opposition in churches uh, when we're going through the churches, in the seven churches here. I think it's interesting here that this church suffered some difficulties in spreading the gospel in this case by a group of Jews and I think it shows it's very interesting that various churches struggled with different oppositions um, and in this case they struggled with the Jews that were coming against them when they were trying to enter these open doors that Jesus had for them open opportunities to share the gospel uh, but we had shared before in the church of uh, Pergamos, that there was anti-Semitism in that church that Jesus did not commend in any way. He was very, very concerned from the, for the anti-Semitism here. So he is not promoting anti-Semitism in any way here. He is just pointing out the particular group that was opposing this church 
uh, that he is going to deal righteously with them too. I love that about Jesus. I love that about God. He shows no favoritism whatsoever. He is calling all to follow him and walk righteously with him, Jew and Gentile alike, to put their faith and trust in Jesus alone for their salvation. And that when we put our faith and trust in him, we follow him and obey him in righteousness. But those who don't, Jew and Gentile, there are those that are going to come against those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus. And so God shows no favoritism. He wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, Jew and Gentile alike. And he extends that mercy and that invitation through the gospel to everyone. So let's go on to verse 10. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Revelation 3.10 is one of the many, many passages of scripture that we have to show that the pre-tribulation rapture is God's intent for the church. We see that he promises here, for those who have kept his command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial, which will come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. He's talking, when he's talking about the hour of trial, he is talking about the seven-year tribulation that is going to come upon the earth starting in Revelation chapter 6. And when we get to Revelation chapter 6, we're going to look in detail with that part. But this is the most wonderful promise for the church age right here in Revelation 3.10. He is going to snatch us out before he pours the wrath of God onto the earth to test those who dwell on the earth. It's for people who dwell on the earth, the earth dwellers. Are we earth dwellers if we've put our faith in Jesus? No, we are citizens of heaven. We are citizens of heaven and therefore we are waiting for our righteous Savior to come and take us to the place he has prepared for us in the Father's house. And so let's look at that passage right now. Let's look at the pre-tribulation rapture and the very first person who spoke about the rapture. It was Jesus in John chapter 14. This is the first time the rapture was mentioned and spoken about by Jesus himself. So I'm going to turn to John chapter 14. And I actually have John chapter 14 verses 1 through 3 memorized because it's one of my favorite uh, encouraging passages of, of Jesus. But let's turn to it. And he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions or dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And then listen to verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So where is Jesus right now? He is sitting at the right hand of God in the throne room of heaven. He is in heaven. We are right now on earth. Though we live here on earth, we are citizens of heaven. So he promises, if I go and prepare a place for you, meaning if you belong to him, if you put your faith in him, if you belong to him, if you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, he will come again and receive you to himself. That where he is, you may be also, and I may be also where he is. Well, where is he? 
He's at the right hand of the Father in heaven. This is the first passage that teaches us about the pre-tribulation rapture. And so when we go back to Revelation chapter 3, he says again at verse 10, Because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. It comes upon the whole world. The wrath of God poured out upon the whole world. Well, it's the wrath of God, and we're going to look really, really carefully with that when we get into to that when we get to Revelation chapter six. Um, but I just want to ask you this question: If Jesus, uh, for some reason, kept his church here during the wrath, which is absolutely impossible, can I just ask you a question? What was the cross for? See. Jesus took the wrath of God upon himself on the cross so that we are righteous before him. We are quitted before him. He took our punishment and he gave us his righteousness. So the wrath or the tribulation that we face right now as believers on this, on this earth, in this world, is not the wrath of God. It is the wrath of Satan who hates us. It is the wrath of the flesh that doesn't want to submit to God. And it is the wrath of the world and the world system that hates us as well. When we talk about Babylon, when we're going to get into Revelation 17 and 18, we're going to talk about the world system and Babylon and this woman. And she was drunk on the blood of the saints. The world hates us. Uh, Satan hates us as children of God. And the flesh does not want to submit to God and it can't submit to God. So that is the, the persecution and the trials that we face here as believers. But we do not suffer the wrath of Jesus. We are his children. We are his bride. He loves us. He does not come against us. So he will take us out before he pours out his wrath upon this earth because it's not for us. He took our wrath. And that is good news and such a blessing. So hold fast to Revelation chapter 3 verse 10. Maybe you want to write it on a note card. I want to show you this is what I do is I have these little index cards and I write my favorite scriptures on these index cards. Ones that I want to keep close. Ones that I want to memorize. And I have a whole bunch of index cards here and every time I have a verse of scripture that I want to hold on to and I want to memorize, I get an index card. I love different colored pens. I make it fun. I put little stickers on it sometimes and I write down that scripture and I carry that around with me because that is a sword of the spirit. It helps to keep me encouraged. It helps to keep me strong and it helps to keep me in the truth. So I recommend Revelation 3.10 to be a verse that you write down on an index card. I invite you to do that and you will be blessed when you do that. So picking up in verse 11, he says, Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have so that no one may take your crown. And he says, I am coming quickly. He's telling us here he is going to snatch this church off the planet. As quickly as this church began in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, 
it is going to end just as quickly with the rapture of the church. That's so often how God works. He works in what's called, the, I call them bookends. The very, very fancy word is chiastic structure or chiasm, but I call them bookends to make it simple for us. He, what he does over here, he does over here in like manner. So often you see that in scripture. And so he, as quickly as he began this church, he is going to snatch us away at the rapture. And it could be at any moment. That's why we're always to be ready. Um, and that's the contrast between the church and Sardis that wasn't ready. They weren't watching. And so he was going to come like a thief. They weren't ready for him. But the church in Philadelphia was ready for him because they kept his word. They had not denied his name. Um, they kept looking for those open doors and opportunities to follow him and persevere and keep working until he came. So he said to them, behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. So in verse 12, he says, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. So not only will we be in the new Jerusalem, we will never leave again. We will never go out from his presence. Once he takes us to himself, we will be with the Lord forever. And we can encourage one another with these words. Okay, we are going to continue with the next church, the last church. Uh, this is the church of Laodicea. So I'm in verse 14 and it says, And to the angel of the church in Laodiceans write, these things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. So in the seventh church here, he goes, he describes that he is the amen, the faithful and true witness, and the beginning of the creation of God. What I personally find so remarkable in this seventh church is he goes back and points back once again to Genesis in even his title of himself. So the seventh church struggled clearly with understanding the beginning of God's creation. They didn't know the book of Genesis very well. And so he had to point out to them that he is the beginning of the creation of God. They needed to go back and remember the beginning because when we don't study Genesis, we're really going to be off on every other part of our, our understanding of God's word. And so interestingly, I find it very interesting that the two books that seem to be neglected the most in the church today are Genesis and Revelation. And I just think that that's part of Satan's design and plan to try to help, to try to get us all um, confused. Because if he can kind of take away and shortchange what we understand about Genesis, and if he can make us all confused about Revelation, then we're sort of living in the middle somewhere without full understanding of the beginning and the end. And that is not God's will. So he is telling this church uh, in Laodicea, remember, the beginning of the creation of God is Jesus himself. Um, he is the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Um, and so he wants to remind this church, remember what you know about Genesis. Hold fast to that. And that's what he's saying in the as he's introducing his name here. And so in verse 14, he says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. 
I could wish you were cold or hot. So this is very interesting. He is saying, um, I wish that you were cold or hot. And he goes on to say, so then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. So we as believers are to be like a refreshing glass of cold water to somebody who is a weary soul. We are to love on them and encourage them and build them up and serve and come alongside so that we meet needs in a way that it's like receiving a cold glass of water on a really hot stifling day. And then he says, I wish you were hot. Hot is like the taking care and bringing comfort to those who are cold and destitute and left out, uh, that we would be like a hot drink, a hot cup of coffee to them on a cold day or a hot cup of hot cocoa, just something soothing and warming and comforting. So we are both to be refreshing cold or we are to be comforting hot. And hot could also mean we're on fire for the Lord. We're passionate about him. We're in love with him and we want other people to know him. And so that's what he wished this church was. But they were lukewarm. And because they were lukewarm, he would vomit them out of his mouth. They did nothing that pleased him. He has no nothing good to say about the church in Laodicea, sadly. If we think about taking a a drink of lukewarm, um, for instance, if my coffee, I love hot coffee in the morning and I let it sit here and then I'm doing my Bible study here and then I go to take a drink of it and, oh, it's lukewarm. <laughs> it's not good at all. And that's what he's saying here in this instance. And so he's going to vomit them out of his mouth. And he says, 17, because you say, and this is the reason, he always tells us the reason. He's so good to tell us why. He will never, ever judge without saying why to give an opportunity to repent. He's such a good God. He said, because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So they thought they were wealthy. They had wealth. They did have real wealth in this church, but they were truly not wealthy. They were wretched. They were miserable. They were poor. They were blind. They were naked. None of those things are good, but yet because they had material wealth, they thought they had so much. So he's telling them now in verse 18, I can't counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eyes of that you may see. So he's saying to them that the real gold is faith in Jesus Christ. That's the real gold. That's what they need that they may be rich and white garments that they may be clothed and the shame of their nakedness may not be revealed. So instead of being naked before him, instead of clothed with the righteousness of God, they needed to get his clothing put on them. They need to put their faith and trust in him and be clothed with Jesus's righteousness and then to anoint their eyes with eye salve that they may see. So instead of them uh, not being able to have spiritual eyes to see what was going on, they needed Jesus to anoint their eyes so that they could see spiritually. So let's take a look now at Revelation 1:19. He says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. 
Therefore be zealous and repent. This and this again is the last church we're looking at. And, and you just see the character of Jesus to his churches. He loves us. He rebukes and he chastens because he wants us to be zealous and repent. He disciplines out of love always so that we will repent and we will return to him. And that's what he's saying to this church. He always gives an opportunity to repent. He is waiting for people to repent and come to him. He is such a good God. He is such a merciful God. We love him. And then he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. He is not, he is outside. He is knocking on the door of this church. He wants to come in. He wants to have a meal with them in the Middle East, in the first century in the Middle East, sharing a meal together was something that, um, promoted relationship and closeness. It was super important in that culture to share a meal together. Today, it's sort of like that as well. We go out to dinner or restaurants with friends, with family, and we wanna share a meal together. But back then in the first century, it was super important. And that is what he is calling to. He is calling to relationship and fellowship over a meal, bonding over a meal. And that's what he wants here. And verse 21, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. This is the very last encouragement to overcome, the promise to the overcomers that we will sit on the throne with Jesus himself when he comes to rule and reign in his millennial kingdom for the thousand year reign here on earth, we will be with him. That is incredible. We will rule and reign and sit on his throne with him. What an encouragement. And he finally ends for the seventh and last time, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. This message is for everyone. These letters to the seven churches were written to these seven individual churches. They were real churches that existed in the first century. John wrote to them. These letters went out to each one of them, but they are for everyone across time. We have had 2,000 years now of church history, and each one of these church letters is still relevant to our lives today. And so he is saying, let he who he has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is a message for everyone, everyone to know the Lord Jesus Christ personally in this church age before it ends, before it comes to its very quick close at the rapture. He is calling everyone to come in and be with him and dine with him and eat with him and have fellowship with him. And that is so wonderful. It is so encouraging. We are still here. We are still to work until he comes. But when he comes, he will take us to the place he has prepared for us in the Father's house. And we are going to pick up there on Revelation chapter 4. And let's keep going because there's some really good stuff to come in Revelation chapter 4. See you next time. Thank you for listening to our teaching today on the book of Revelation. And if you are looking for more tools and resources from Encouraging Women for Christ, please visit our website at encouragedinchrist.org. We are here to help and encourage you on your journey to learning more about God through His Word.